Welcome to Take Your Stand, the podcast of Here I Stand Ministries. I'm your host, Luke Seibert. Let's explore more of what it means to live out the gospel by clinging to the Word and to one another. Well, here we are and ready to start digging into the history of the actual text itself. In the past episodes of the series, we've looked at how God commanded men to write His Word and they wrote it down in the language of the people. Uh, Hebrew for the Old Testament, Koine Greek for the New Testament. Uh, pretty much. You have some passages that are in Aramaic, but overall it's a Hebrew and Greek. And so the, the first sort of segment of history that we need to look at is what happened in the interte- intertestamental period between the Old Testament and New Testament. So you get the towards the close... Towards the close of the Old Testament, uh, Israel and Judah have both been taken into captivity. Uh, focusing upon Judah being taken into Babylon, and spent there for 70 years, and then came back. Well, by the time they had come back, uh, the people were no longer speaking Hebrew. That's their primary language. They were speaking <clears throat> others. And we, we see this example of, of this uh, testified in Scripture in Nehemiah chapter 8, and verse 8. So the People have gathered together. Uh, Ezra, the scribe, has stood up. He's on this, this podium. He has the book of the law. The Levites are with him. And then verse 8 says this. says that they, they read from the book, uh, from the law of God, uh, tra- translating to give the sense, so that the people understood the reading. And just is a, such a significant verse for this, uh, this episode and for the entire series. It's translating to give the sense. So the people understood what was said, and there's a whole other uh, part of this discussion where you talk about the um, importance of the individual words of Scripture, but that's for another time. But the, the main principle here is that they translated what was read so that the people could understand it in a way the people would understand. And uh, this continued, uh, continued on. People still did not return back to Hebrew uh, after they were there and had come back to their own land. They begin. They uh, were soon conquered by the Greeks, and then over a period of time, that uh, Greek became the common language, and it became a, there arose a need for uh, uh, still the people to be, have the word translated to them. But that so that's what's going on in Israel. Down in Alexandria, there arose uh, a, a king, uh, Ptolemy the the second, uh, who who wanted to start creating this, this library of the different uh, texts around the world. And he wanted the, the Hebrew Bible, the, the Old Testament, and he uh, commissioned it to be done in Greek. And this was the birth of what we uh, call the Septuagint, uh, also known as the LXX, uh, refer, in which we'll get to the reason for why it's used that acronym, acronym, uh, the acronym here in a moment. But as I said, this is the, the Greek trans- translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And according to tradition, uh, Ptolemy II, that he he ordered seventy-two scribes to come from Israel to Alexandria to translate the Bible. So speaking of the Old Testament here, uh, this happened in uh, I think the the fourth century BC, if I remember correctly. Uh, but so that that he said he called for these seventy-two scribes. That's where the LXX comes from. Is uh, seven the Roman numerals for seventy, and they they translated uh, the. Old Testament along with some of the apocryphal books 
And the tradition, uh, the details of the tradition grew uh, more fantastic over time. Uh, how the, the scribes were ended up being uh, separated and then each work on the same part coming back together and it was exact word for word. Uh, there, there's a lot that went on. But what we do know is that there was a group of scribes who were brought from Israel to Alexandria to translate the Old Testament into Greek. And what is especially significant for our discussion is that this was the standard Bible by the time of the New Testament. By the time of Jesus and the disciples, this was the Bible of the people that was being used. In, this was the Bible that was being used in Israel. And even Jesus himself and the disciples referenced and quoted from the LXX. And we say, well, well, how do we know that? How do we know what text they used? Well, there are several places in the New Testament where Jesus or the disciples will cite the Old Testament. Whether it be Isaiah, whether it be Deuter, uh, one of the books of Moses. And uh, a lot of times, the, re the, the wording of their citation more closely aligns with the LXX. It's either the exact wording of the Septuagint or very close, more so than the, the Hebrew texts that we have. And so there's evidence, uh, a couple of examples real quick. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, Jesus, Jesus is reading from Isaiah. And of course, modern chapter and verse divisions have happened by that point. But, we had, but he was citing from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. But the, the wording being from the LXX. And then in Matthew chapter 12, verse 21, there is a citation of Isaiah chapter 42, verse 4. It's the same truth, just a different wording. And that's, that's so important for us to consider and to keep in mind throughout this entire series. And then Paul in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, and Isaiah 59, verse 20. There's, these are just a few examples. There's uh, so many more that we could get into that's not just from Isaiah. I know there's one passage, I believe, it's, that is uh, from Deuteronomy, which includes a wording that found in, in the Septuagint. So it's important for us to, to understand or to recognize is that Jesus and the apostles used a translation. They weren't quoting from the original Hebrew. Um, of course, they didn't have the autographs. The autographs being what was originally written by Moses or Isaiah, uh, all, all the writers of the Old Testament. But they weren't using Hebrew manuscripts. They were using a Greek manuscript, the, the Greek Septuagint, the LXX. This is a foundational for the entire understanding of translations that yes God can preserve his meaning through translation it doesn't have to be in the same language that he uh, originally moved the author of scripture to write in that the, his meaning is still uh, can carried on is still preserved uh, through translation and God approves of it that Jesus and the apostles used it and this is uh, this not this is important not just for the fact that uh, this was an example of a translation, but the, the Septuagint plays a pretty major role in this discussion of which translation is authoritative. And it's going to come up again when we get into start talking about uh, Jerome later here in the first few centuries uh, after Christ, and then it'll, uh, there'll be a resurgence of it uh, when we start talking about the King James. But that's a little bit about the history of the Septuagint. The, translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek in that Jesus and the apostles used it. Even though the wording was slightly different in places uh, than, than the Hebrew documents that we have, 
they still chose it, and God's meaning was still preserved through it. I just uh, powerful truth to consider. But there were also still some groups out there who were preserving the Hebrew, the Hebrew manuscripts. The one that we're going to consider today uh, is the Essenes, and we're just going to kind of get a foretaste of the Essenes. We won't really fully get their uh, full significance until later. But the Essenes were forerunners of the Masoretes, who uh, arose later after Christ, and I think from about 500 to 900 A.D. And the, the Masoretes played a pretty major, a very major role, and in fact, in shaping the, the shape of the, the Hebrew Old Testament that we have today. But the Essenes, what we're talking about now, was a community. Uh, they existed from the early second century B.C. to the, about the time of the destruction of the Temple, A.D. 70. They were an elite sectarian group who saw themselves as the true preservers of Israel. That uh, Yet they saw the nation as going adrift, turning away from the Lord. But they withdrew from society into these different communities and cities and were going to preserve uh, what it truly meant to be the Israel of God. And that was through their very uh, strict rituals and lifestyle uh, and through their meticulous uh, copying of Scripture. And it was a, a very uh, hard group to get into. It was a, several year, test, uh, set, a period of several years of testing excuse me, before you could be accepted into the community. The most famous city of, this of the Essenes is Qumran. Perhaps you've, you've heard of the name. But what the Essenes are most known for is that, that we believe they were the, copy, the, the scribes who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. Just an amazing discovery, which we're going to return to later. Just, Kind of wetting the appetite there, but the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, about 200 of them are Old Testament manuscripts and are such a, a significant uh, player in the in the discussion of the Old Testament and provide a, uh, either for, even further support for why we can believe the Bible is true. But we'll get into that in a later episode. But just wanted to point out that yes, there was a Septuagint. It was the translation into Greek. And by the time of Christ and the disciples, it was the common uh, Bible. Of course, not everyone could own it, not everyone read, but it, it was a very common uh, a Bible. But you still had uh, you still had some groups like the Essenes who had a commitment to Hebrew, to the original language, and they were still doing their part to uh, to copy it and to preserve it. But so the takeaways from this episode here is that by the time again by the time of Christ. There was the Septuagint, and it was a major translation. Some of the wording was different than the original Hebrew, but God still used God still used it and was able to preserve his preserve his meaning uh, into that, and it was a way that people could understand. And speaking of people understanding, uh, that leads us into our second uh, part here of the podcast. And the the book I wanted to share about today is authorized. The Use and mis Misuse of the King James Bible by Mark Ward. Uh, just This was a, an excellent book. It was uh, approaches the subject from the of a very practical standpoint. Uh, Ward has a very uh, great respect for the King James, and he, he loves it. But he wants us to understand is, or what he wants us to, to consider is, if people can't understand the scripture, uh, what good is it? That God communicated his word in the language of the people so that they could understand it. And while the King James has been used by God in many ways and for, for many years, 
it wasn't the first translation, and it was not the last. And in many ways, it's hard. It makes it hard or difficult for people to to understand uh, the scripture. Um, perhaps if you if you were raised in a, in a very King James culture, and you understand the wording, maybe it's not as difficult for someone who wasn't. But he he looks at this in several approaches, and again, he's not attacking the King James. He's just trying to help us understand. God's word was written for the people so that we could understand it and we want our translations to be able to help communicate that. And he points out uh, several things. Uh, the most significant that stood out to me is the idea of false, what he calls false friends where words that we think we know what the meaning of but they've actually changed their meaning in the past 400 years since the King James was translated and then uh, difference in syntax and there's just several aspects to this uh, the King James being uh, not as easily understood and being difficult to understand and maybe the, the meaning not being fully communicated as it was when it was translated. He's not going at a textual basis, uh, looking at what manuscripts were used. He, he doesn't get into that at all. It's a very a practical look at, we want God's people to be able to understand God's word. And so we let, let's use a translation that uh, best helps does that. So if you you have a firm commitment to the King James, think it's built on the best uh, manuscripts. Uh, that's uh, another subject. And he goes into, he talks a little bit about that, about if that's your position. Uh, here's uh, some things to consider. But it's just a really, uh, had a good perspective. I, wanna, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I uh, especially appreciate that he does not attack the King James. You definitely get a sense that he has a great respect for the translation. He doesn't want people to throw it out. Doesn't want people just to get rid of it and to say, oh, the King James has no use. But but he uh, he approaches it and says, in general, let's use translations that, that people can understand. So again, that's authorized the use and misuse of the King James Bible by Mark Ward. And as always, the link will be there in the in the, uh, the, the show notes section. But I appreciate people listening to the podcast and we're going to, uh, in the weeks to come, we're going to start getting into the the New Testament, which is where the, the majority of the discussion of how we get the Bible takes place. The Old Testament it does come up some, but it's not the focus. The focus is on the New Testament. The manuscripts that we have, how do we get them? Are some corrupt? Did some come from a heretical uh, tradition? And therefore, uh, translations that use them are heretical. Uh, there's a lot that's going to be brought up over the next uh, several episodes. Not sure exactly how long it's going to be, but we'll just keep going as the Lord leads. And just some real exciting stuff coming up and looking forward to sharing that. And also, we're going to have some I guess, speakers coming in, not necessarily about translations, but about the Christian life in general. Um, whether it be some books or about music. or We'll see how opportunities the Lord, Lord opens up, but looking forward to sharing this with you. So, again, thanks for listening to the podcast. And, uh, and as always, read the word and take your stand. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope it was an encouragement and a blessing. To find out more information about Here I Stand Ministries, check out hisministries.com. Scripture quotations are from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, copyright 1971-1995 by the Lockman Foundation, used by permission, all rights reserved.